Okay, um, as you saw from the handout, this year is going to be on a uh, very particularistic topic, and it's one that is not a major topic in halacha. It is there, but it's not a central thing. It's certainly not central to Eruvin, and uh, it shows up in Eruvin um, as one of the three or four sources in all of Shas that it shows up at all, but it's a great opportunity to discuss something. It's exactly what the shear is for. So we're going to take, take a dive into a salt pad, uh, basically. We're going to look at the issue of Mayim Achronim. Mayim Achronim, which for right now means, and I say for right now because it's not going to necessarily remain that way, the, uh, washing your hands before Berkat Amazon. Before Berkat Amazon. Okay. Um, one preface that I have to throw out, which seemingly has nothing to do with it, but you will see it does, is what is the proper way to actually do Birkat HaMazon itself? The grace after meals, as it's called. So we are accustomed to doing essentially a two-pronged thing, which is if there are three men or more, that there is a zimun, which is a couple lines, which basically says, let's bench. Okay, we'll bench, good, let's bench. And then everybody's off to the races and does their own thing. However, the, uh, the sources in the halacha are going a different direction. It seems that Berkat Amazon with a zimun, when there's three men or more, uh, essentially is one person saying Berkat Amazon and everyone else listening and following along and saying amen at the end of each bracha. That's the way the Shulchan Aruch says you should do it. However, the Shulchan Aruch concedes that it's not always so easy for everybody to stay focused on somebody else's every word for that long. So the compromise, if you will, and it's not exactly a compromise, is that the person saying, leading, saying the Karamazon should say the zimun and the first brachat, till hazanat Everybody should listen, say amen, and then off to the races on their own. The common custom has become for everyone to, um, to say all the Berkat on their own. Um, uh, however, in many circumstances, um, Manny and Marsha, I'm sure that you've seen this, uh, just knowing your kids, um, that uh, the person leading Berkat will still say the first bracha louder than everyone else, and everybody will wait for them, and they'll say, and they say, Amen, and then everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Um, and I'm sure some of the other of you, of you have seen this also. I, you have to put that kind of in the background because it's going to come up a little later on in our sugya. Okay, we always start with psukim. Whether or not we read them first, psukim are always at the beginning because any topic that you deal with in halacha ultimately can be anchored one way or another without too much of a stretch in psukim and tanakh. And the truth is there are two or three different psukim that I could have used, but this one is vital. And it is a pasuk that is in the middle of an odd place for this topic, which is it's in the middle of the parsha of Arayot, of forbidden sexual relations, in the, uh, in the second half of parsha Kedoshim, which goes through all of the forbidden relations that were listed in Achremot, you know, what we read on Yom Kippur in the afternoon, and pre presents the punishment, the consequence for those. And after presenting the first couple of Arayot, the first one, which is Molech, and how that's related to Arayot is a different story. We have this sort of topic statement, v'hit kadishtem, v'hitem kedoshim, ki kadosh, ki ani So you should become holy, and be, you should make yourselves holy and be holy, because I am Hashem, 
uh, your, your God. What does it have to do with anything? We're going to answer it relatively quickly. Let's go to our sugya. In our sugya, the end of the first chapter of Erevin, a, a, a page that we did about three, four days ago, Daf Yod Zion, we have the Mishnah that tells us, remember this is after the Mishnah, where we saw the ropes going around the corral, where you could set up a rope, and then less than three tzvachim height, and another rope, and less than three tzvachim, and you could set up three ropes that essentially, uh, each one of them is one tefach thick, and essentially make up a ten tefach wall using all of the tricks of levud and and uh, and uh, and good good asik mechitzta. So, in that context, they taught the 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 of a corral. They also talked about going to war. There are four different halachot that were relaxed when you're in the war camp. What are they? And it's a little bit connected to last week's parsha. Yifator one rule is you can go take wood from anywhere. You don't have to ask the owner's permission. Shall we say the laws of theft are off when it comes to wood, whether it's wood that's even been cut down um, and in order to create a, build a fire for the army or build a fort or in order to possibly build up a battery for a siege. They're exempt from washing their hands. Something you don't want to hear during COVID. Now it's the last line that put that justifies putting this Mishnah here, that uh, besides Demai, which we're not going to talk about, but a particular Gzerad uh, Rabbanan having to do with Trumot Masrot, they're exempt from that. So if they bought food from an Amharitz, they can eat without separation. And Eruv. And which Eruv? Eruv Chatzerot. So that means that if you have the army camp and there are a bunch of separate tents set up in the army camp, and there's a fence around it, they can carry from tent to tent and in the middle area without making an Eruv uh, among them. Okay. But they exempted from washing hands. What is that? So which hand washings are we familiar with in Halakha? So we're familiar with a hand washing in the morning before Shacharit. We're familiar with a hand washing theoretically. I say theoretically because many people are not careful about it. But, but hand washing is mandated in halacha before mincha and arvit. In other words, before any time you're going to come to daven. It's also mandated before shema, but we assume that in the morning when you're saying shema, you wash for tzvilas, it's all one thing. Uh, and you have to wash before a meal, correct? We're familiar with that. Okay. So now, the Gemara comments, you know what they exempted? They exempted washing before the meal. When you're in the army camp, you don't have to wash before the meal. But and right now, again, we'll just read it as washing at the end of the meal before Berkat Mazon. That is obligatory, and they did not exempt you. Now, why would that be? So I'm going to ask you this. If you come to the average guy on the street and say, you've heard of Nitzilat Yadayim before meals? Yeah, of course. You've heard of my machronim? Yeah, I have cousins who, I've heard of my machronim. I was once at a wedding, they passed around a thing, my machronim. Which do you think is more serious? So the person instinctively would say, wash it before a meal. The fact is, everybody does it. Second of all, everybody lines up at the sink to do it. And my machronim, even places to do it, often do it by passing a glass around the table. And a small little thing. But a little bit more 
deeply, the person would automatically say, Mayim before, Mayim Rishonim, washing before the meal is more severe because what do we say when we wash? We say a bracha. What do we say when we wash my machronim? Shiramalo. We don't say anything related to my machronim. So we automatically assume that washing before the meal is way more serious, way more severe, and I don't even understand this my machronim thing. And here we read that the Mishnah says that in the army camp, the rabbis exempted the soldiers from Mayim from washing, and Abayi says that's only washing before the meal. That they exempted. But Mayim Achronim, at the end of the meal, they didn't exempt, which means that Mayim Achronim is more severe. Suddenly things are topsy-turvy. And now we'll find out a little bit of why. So why did the rabbis say that Mayim Achronim are obligatory and, and inexcusable? You cannot do without them. Because there's such a thing as sodomite salt. Melachstomit, which is evidently very high in chloride, and you touch it with your hands, and then you somehow get it in your eye or you touch your eye with it, it could blind you. Now, I'm sure that everybody in this year has been to the Dead Sea. And everybody here has floated in the Dead Sea. And I don't know whether it's happened to you, but it happened to me as a kid where somebody else got in right near me and splashed and I got a little bit of that stuff in my eye. And it is really, really painful. And you run over to those outside showers, you put your eye up and you try to get the water out to clear it, but it takes a while. It's very painful to get that salt water. So imagine if it was the salt itself, it could be very painful and they're claiming it could blind you. But now I have a little bit of a disconnect here. Why are we saying that washing my hands at the end of the meal is obligatory because of melachs domit? So first of all, who says that I'm having salt at the meal? Second of all, who says that there's sodomite salt in the meal? And third of all, more critically, who says that my food's getting in my eye? So we have to put this in a context, but we're going to do that when we get to Tosfot in a minute. Amar Abaye umishtak hakikurta bekura. Abaye makes the following comment about Melach Stomit. And by the way, Abaye is making an on-the-spot observation in Bavel, which means this is not a local southeastern Israeli problem of stone. Evidently, the notion was that Melach Stomit is, a, is an international reality. And he says there's one little bit in a koret, in a kor, which means if you have a huge amount of food, there's going to be a little bit of Melach Stomit, but you don't know where it is. So the next generation of Ashi was asked, what if you're not eating, but you're measuring out salt? Like you're, you're a salt salesman and you're measuring out salt in the marketplace. So do you have to wash your hands? That's, you don't have to ask that. That's obvious you have to wash your hands because you're going to have melech stomit on your hands, which means, by the way, we are now seeing that is related not to a ritual issue, but rather related to an issue of physical danger. One of the other reasons I wanted to pick up on this sugya is this is something that suddenly in the last few months, we have become super sensitive to. You take a walk and you come in the house. What's the first thing that the other members of your household ask you? Shane Gavashin, did you wash your hands yet? And then they'll sit there and they'll stopwatch 20 seconds, right? And, and we're suddenly sensitive to the fact that we have to wash our hands all the time and keep our hands clean. Um, as you well know, there were certain epochs in, the, in, in our life in Europe 
um, which was No Better Roses, uh, when Jews were accused of being behind, like the Black Death, and part of the reason is because Jews had a very low mortality rate. And part of the reason for that, perhaps the chief part of the reason for that was because we wash our hands so often and we had higher hygiene just built into our system. Okay, Rashi says Melach Slomit, but Rashi is gonna connect one of the dots for us, which is, so there's such a thing as Melach Slomit, who said that I'm eating it? So Rashi quotes a Gemara in Brachot that says, Achar kol achilatcha echol melach. The question is whether it's achar or im, but the idea is that you should have salt with every meal. Now, your, your cardiologist might advise against this, but uh, they certainly had salt with every meal. So he says, since the rabbis advised you to have salt with every meal, now step two is you take your finger and dip it in the salt along with the food, said, that's why the rabbis, rabbis made my machronim. In other words, the rabbis said, we're telling you that the proper way to eat is to have salt at the meal. Let's also roll back to something that we can't get away with. But this, this last week, uh, we started school. And, um, and so I have a student who studied Tanakh with me for a couple of years, and now he's in my Gemorrah year. And so... He was new to the class. I allowed him to teach the rest of the class this line. And when I teach Tanakh, I always teach, you cannot understand Tanakh unless you understand the world of Tanakh. You know, girls getting betrothed at age one and getting married at age 12, and men being much older because they've built up their capital and whatever else it is. You can't understand Tanakh unless you understand the world of Tanakh. So we were starting to study Gemara. I said, you, so I said, you can't understand Gemara, and he filled in the blank, unless you know the world of Gemara. Fine. Um, we generally don't eat with our hands. I mean, I can't speak for you. We don't generally eat with our hands. Um, in polite company, we don't. Um, we have certain foods that are finger foods. You know, people don't know to take a hot dog and a bun and cut it up with a, with a knife and fork. Kind of loses the point. But generally, most of the foods that we eat that are not snacks, we eat with cutlery and on plates. They didn't have cutlery. They didn't really have plates. In the times of the Gemara, and really up through the medieval period, there was no cutlery. The only cutlery that existed was used for cutting meat, like uh, a big knife to carve meat. But what did you eat? You ate with your hands. The only way you didn't eat it with your hands is if you used a plate. You know what a plate was? The plate was lafa. In other words, bread which is literally the staple of the meal. You put the food on the bread, you maybe folded it over and you ate it and that's how you got stuff. So your hands were all over all the food. So if the rabbi, let's put two and two together. If the rabbi said you should eat salt with every meal and you're gonna be touching your food and you're gonna have salt on your hands. And then the third thing is at some point you might inadvertently touch your face. Again, something would become sensitized to in the last six months. And therefore you have to wash your hands to save yourself from blinding yourself. Okay, that's Rashi. Now, I'm gonna take you to Tosfot and right away we're gonna see a dramatic change because um, let, let's put it in a, in a simple fashion. How many of you have seen nice religious Jewish homes where people eat their meal and at the end of the meal they say Berkat and they don't necessarily wash my macronim or shall we say not everybody does. I think we've all seen it and maybe in our homes we do it right? And it might depend on the kind of meal. So here's Tosfot. This Tosfot, um, 12th century, 
France, Germany. Let's see. Tosot says, Achshav lo nahagu b'mayim You can see it right there. Today, we don't do my machronim. Now, watch, this is Tosfot looking at a reality, which is the, the, the Mishnah says, the, the, the Gemara says, you have to do my machronim. They say it's a very severe thing. It's more severe than washing before a meal. Tosfot says, well, we don't do it. Why not? We don't have that salt anymore. We don't have it here in France and Germany. We don't have that kind of salt. So that's reason one. Now, what's Tosfot doing? Tosfot is doing what Tosfot always does. And we saw this at the very beginning of Brachot. If you remember, the first Sugyan Brachot was about davening Mariv early. And every one of the Rishonim jumps on the fact that the Mishnah says that Zman Kriyachma is when the stars are out, and everybody davens Mariv before sunset. How do we justify it? So the Rambam says, it's wrong. And Rashi says, when you go to sleep at night and say Kriyat Shema in bed, that's the Kriyat Shema. And Tosho turns around and says, no, actually, we must rule differently than the Mishnah, and we must rule that Zman Kriyat Shema and Zman Tefillah is much earlier. Right? Very strange Tosfot. But Tosfot is engaged in something that almost theologically, and certainly metaphysically, the, the world of Ashkenaz was invested in, which is, if Am Yisrael does something a certain way, there must be a good reason. And let's find a source or a reason to justify it. Which means Tosfot is not saying, don't wash my machronim. What's Tosfot saying? Fact, people don't wash my machronim. Justification, it was all made because of Melach's Tomit. We don't have Melach's Tomit. No need to wash. The people are okay for not doing it. Tosfot says, here's another possible reason. Now, by the way, notice Tosfot here is, Throwing out two options. Why people don't wash? How do I justify people not washing? Possibility one is that we don't have that poisonous salt among us. Possibility two, we don't have the custom of dipping our fingers in salt at the end of a meal. So even if we eat, they still eat with their fingers until so time. But even if so, we don't necessarily have salt on our fingers and therefore it's not a danger. Notice he didn't say we don't touch our eyes with our fingers. That he didn't say. All right. But now Tosfut, if you think about it, has opened up a huge door. Because what Tosfut seems to be saying, and is saying is, if the rabbis made a rule because of reason X, reality X, and reality X no longer exists, then the rule doesn't exist. If you think about the implications of that statement, they are huge. In other words, the rabbis established a, a rule because of circumstance X, um, problem X, whatever it might be, in a time in which that circumstance no longer exists or even temporarily doesn't exist, we can relax the rules. Now, of course, the first thing that would take a beating based on that reasoning would be second day Yom Tov. Think about it. We're coming up now to, uh, to we're gonna have Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret, Shabbat, Shabbat and Sunday. Meanwhile, Al will be celebrating Shabbat and Shabbat, right? There we go. Because, and Rina hopefully also, we get the Yeshua. Because in Israel, we keep one day Yom Tov. Why do we keep two days Yom Tov here? Because way back then, when we were getting the news via emissaries, and it took the emissaries more than two weeks, so we didn't know what day was the real Rosh Chodesh. So that means news traveled slowly, and Rosh Chodesh was still up for grabs based on when the witnesses came. Neither one of those apply anymore. We have a calendar that's over a thousand years old. 
and we have immediate news. So you could make the argument that second day umptive. Nobody's making that argument, but notice the Tosfot's reasoning. I'm going to show you right now, I'm going to skip and show you one more place where Tosfot does that. Um, if you take a look on, I think it's the second page, you see here in source 11. Source 11 is a Mishnah in Masachet Beitzah. Masachet Beitzah is Masachet Yom Tov. And in this Mishnah, at the end of the fifth, almost at the beginning of the fifth parak, last parak, one of the rules of, of Yom Tov and certainly Shabbat is Lom Metafchin Velom Sapkin Velom This means to clap your hands, to slap your hands on your leg, or to dance. And um, you're not allowed to do that on Yom Tov. Everybody here has been to a Shabbaton at some point. Everybody here has been to a Shabbat Brachot or Bar Mitzvah and Shabbos. Everybody gets up and dances in a big circle. Right. Okay. So you got a problem because the Mishnah says clearly you're not allowed to do it. And we all do it. All right. The Gemara explains what the reason is. What's the reason? Source 12. We're afraid that if you get carried away with clapping and dancing, you're going to either repair or create a rudimentary musical instrument. Okay, I understand the reason. Look at source 13, Tosfot. Tosfot says, It's, it's uh, highlighted in blue in source 13. Tosfot says, we're allowed to dance on, on Yom Tov Shabbos. Why? The dafka only in their day, in those days, everybody knew how to make musical instruments. Therefore, they made the decree. In other words, what would happen is their, their musical instruments were quite simple. And evidently, a lot of people knew how to make them. Like a guy who, who drummed didn't just know how to drum. He knew how to make a drum. So what would he do? He'd get carried away and said, oh, I got a gourd here. I'll take an animal pelt. I'll stretch it over it. I'll tie it down. And we got a great drum. Yalla, and I suddenly violated Shabbat by making an instrument. So therefore, they made a decree that you can't dance and sing and, and clap and all that because it might lead to that. So Tulsa says, it's not true anymore. The dafka bimehen shayu b'ki'in lasot kleshir shayach lemigzar. Only in their day, when they were experts in making musical instruments, they made the decree. Avaladidan enonu b'ki'in lasot kleshir v'lo shayach lemigzar. We are not experts. And therefore, there's no reason to make the decree. Now, you understand how impactful this approach is, which shows up um, in several places, including one of the Baleatosfot permitted hiring a non-Jewish band to play at a Shabbat Brachot on Shabbat, because it's so distant from the possibility that we're going to actually violate the law, right? By the way, I have not yet seen that happen. I hope never to see that happen. But you see what the practices were. So my point is that this Maimachronim Tosfot turns around and says, here's the reality. By the way, Tosfot's approach is not to say, let's go dance. Tosfot's approach is not to say, let's not wash my machronim. What Tosfot is doing is saying, reality, people don't wash my machronim. Here's a justification. Reality, uh, we dance and sing on Sh and, and, and clap hands on Shabbat. Here's a justification. Important to note that that's their approach. Okay, now. Um, before we get to, to the Ritva, I want to show you one other sugya, uh, which is going to take us back to our Pasuk, uh, which is uh, the sugya source number eight. We're not going to touch all the sources here. I, as usual, made way too many pages and way too many sources, but they're all there available for you. The, the Gemara at the end of the eighth parak, the eighth parak is a very short parak, it's Tudah. At the end of the eighth parak of Brachot, 
which talks about basically etiquette during a meal. We have the following, source eight. Tan Rabbanan, Shemen Me'akevata Bracha. And you can hear something funny here with the names. Shemen, which means rubbing your hands with scented oil. Me'akevata Bracha, which means it holds back the Bracha. In other words, if you want to say Berkat HaMazon and you haven't yet anointed your hands in the nicely scented oil, you can't bench yet. You can't bench yet. Divrei Rabbi Zilai. Now I promise you Zilai is not really his name. Right? Zilai means kind of degrading. You'll see. Rabbi Zivai Omer, also not a real name, you'll see in a minute, means the rabbi of the glow. Enomakev. Nah, if you didn't anoint your hands, you could still bench. Rabbi Acha Omer, Shementov Meakev. Good. Now, Rabbi Zuhamai. Now, Zuhamai means fetid, smelling bad. Keshem Shemizuham. Look at it in, in the story. In the, in the statement, just like a Kohen who smells bad is not allowed to do Avodah. A Kohen Mizuham is Pasul Avodah. I think we can, on a, on a sort of an aesthetic sense, understand if a Kohen comes in smelling bad, he's got bad body odor, he's not allowed to do Avodah. Similarly, hands that are disgusting, that smell bad, you're not allowed to make a bracha. Now, by the way, don't sit there on just do bracha. So if your hands, you're outside and you're working in the garden and you got dirt, maybe a little fertilizer on your hands and they smell bad and they're dirty, you're not allowed to make a bracha. You got to go wash your hands and clean them off. Now, notice the names here. Rabbi Zilai, Rabbi Zivai, and Rabbi Zuhamai. Okay, none of those that you'll see are real names. I'm Nachem B'Yitzchak. Ana lo Zilai, velo Zivai, velo Zuhamai, Adana. I don't know Zilai, I don't know Zivai, I don't know Zuhamai. He's making a joke. Elamatnita yadana. I know a brighter. What's the brighter? By the way, based on what we just said, yadaim is uamot, that would mean that if you got your hands dirty in a meal, salt or no salt, you would not be able to bench till you washed them because your hands are dirty. He says, I don't know any of this stuff. I know a brighter. What's the brighter? Either Rav said it or brighter. It's pretty good either way. Vihit kadishtem. There's our pasuk. You shall become sanctified, which, by the way, again, is in the context of arayot. But for our purposes, we're pulling it out of there and applying it to the end of a meal. Elu mayim rishonim. Kadishtem refers to washing before the meal. Vihitem kedoshim is maimachonim. Ki kadosh zeshemen. And you understand the reason for that is because Shemen was used to sanctify all the Kelim and the Kohanim. That makes sense. So they take a look at the Pasuk, they compartmentalize it into four different mini phrases, some of them of one word, same two words, so water, water. Ki Kadosh, you use Shemen to anoint, and then is the Bracha. And so the notion here is that when a Jew sits down to a meal, the first thing they do is they sanctify themselves by washing. That's before the meal. Then at the end of the meal, they sanctify and prepare themselves for Berkat the Muslim by washing their hands. Then they make their hands smell nice with this oil. Major figure like rose oil. And then they bench. Beautiful. Now based, based on that passage, you would say, that, berkat, that washing before Berkat Amazon has nothing to do with salt and has everything to do with benching. 
And if, uh, if your hands are, uh, even if your hands are clean, after all, you have to wash before meal and if you, even if your hands are clean. So washing is like a preparation for Birkata Mazon. So where's Tosfot going to be on this? Look at Tosfot, source nine. Bitem Kiroshim Elumaim Rachonim, Davka Lahem, Tosfot again says the same thing. That was for them. Shayur Gilin Litol Yedeh Machar Suudah. Now watch what he says. They had the regular custom of washing their hands after a meal. Now, by the way, notice, remember I said that we think my machronim is before benching. Tosfot's playing with that. He said, they had the custom of washing their hands after a meal, not necessarily before benching, because of melach's domit. In other words, the concern was, I ate a meal, I have some of the salt on my hands. At some point, when I get up and walk around, I may touch my eyes, so I got to wash my hands. But it could be after benching. It could have nothing to do with benching. We don't have melach's domit around us. So therefore, since we don't have that kind of salt, we don't wash our hands after the meals. So as Tosfut is saying, here in, in Germany in the 13th century, or 12th century, we wash our hands, we eat a meal, and at the end of the meal that we've eaten with our hands, and we have gunk on our hands from food, we don't wash our hands, we go off to work. Because we don't have that kind of salt, and since we don't wash our hands after the meal, Washing doesn't prevent us from benching. Words, yet you don't have to wash the bench. So notice how Tosfot turns it. He says, if we lived in a society in which everybody washed their hands when they got up from the table, what would that prove? That would prove that you see that your hands are unfit. So then you can't bench till you wash. So instead of washing when you leave the table, wash before you leave the table, before you bench. But if you are in a society in which people eat a meal and get up from the meal and leave and never wash their hands because their hands aren't unacceptable to themselves, then you don't have to wash before benching. Interesting take. This is Tosfot. Tosfot, again, is defending the common custom. Umihu, look what Tosfot says. Anashim me'unagim. Me'unagim means people who are fastidious, people who are very dainty. These very dainty people wash their hands after a meal because their hands are dirty and they don't want dirty hands. Look what Tosfut says. It's a phenomenal statement. It says, look, if you normally don't wash your hands after a meal, meaning you eat a meal, you've eaten with your hands, you've got meat grease on your hands, you've got potato grease on your hands, you've got all that, and you don't care, and you get up and then you go back to work, without washing your hands, then you can also bench without washing your hands. But if when you finish a meal, you're very fastidious and you don't like to walk around with gunk, I think most of us probably would be pretty fastidious like that, then you wash your hands, then you have to wash before benching. So notice how subjective it becomes. If washing your hands is important to you and you're not gonna walk around without washing your hands, you better do it before benching. You can't bench before you wash your hands. <clears throat> That's Tosfo. Okay. Now, I want to show you um, a, a different approach in the Rishonim, and this is going to take us into two different directions um, uh, about this particular issue. The Ritva, Rabbeinu Yomto ben Avraham from Seville. The Ritva was a student of the Rashba and the Ra'o. He's a student student of the Ramban. He is from that school of Spanish uh, Rishonim. Ritva in source six says, in other words, he says, 
You have to wash my machronim because of that salt, right? Milvad yesh sheyesh bidvarim mitzvah derabanan kumoraim erishonim. By the way, there's also mitzvah derabanan to wash your hands, just like washing before. And now that big question crops up again, which is, then why don't you make a bracha on my machronim if it's a mitzvah from the rabbis? So the Ritva quotes Tosfot. He knew Tosfot. Are you familiar with the work? The Ritva says, that's what Tosfot says, but on a bite. It's not enough. In other words, the Melach Stomit, the salt issue, is not going to be enough to solve the problem of Vitem Kedoshim. The, 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 the Gemara says, Vitem Kedoshim alludes to my Machronim. Now, remember what I said at the beginning. How do you bench? So we assume, of course, somebody does Rabotan Varech, da da da, and everybody benches. That's not the way the Rishonim understood it. That's not the way the Rishonim practiced it. In the times of the Rishonim, there was a Mavarech, one person bench. And that was it. Everybody else sat and listened. So the Ritva says that only the one saying the bracha has to wash my machronim, even if there's no melech stomit, because of item kedoshim. Right? In other words, we said dirty hands, you can't make a bracha with dirty hands. Well, you're making the bracha, you have to wash your hands regardless of the salt. So Ritva says, I could even excuse people who don't do that, because maybe that was in a time when they used to put fancy oil on their hands and do this whole thing to make their hands smell good, and that was that. So now, put, putting all of that together, because I want to um, already jump here to... Uh, to two statements in the Rishonim, then we're going to go back to the Rambam, is what we see is effectively three different scales. Scale number one, which, as you will see, is the Rambam's approach, seems to be Rashi's approach, is that everybody is obligated to wash Mayim Achronim before the bench anytime. Because there's Melach Stomit, and even though we might not have Melach Stomit, once the rabbis made the Takana, it's in place. Second thing is that there is the notion of yadaim mizuhamot sulot libracha, which would mean that if you don't have a melech stomit, you could say, Mel, maybe you don't have to wash your hands anymore. But if you're going to be the one saying the bracha, forget about the melech, your hands are dirty from all the food you touched. So you have to wash your hands, just you. And the third approach is to say that we just don't have such fastidious approaches to the meal, and therefore we don't have, nobody has to do it. Three different approaches. Okay, we're going to now go to Germany in the 12th century. Rabeliezer of Metz, who was a student of Rabbeinu Tam, wrote the very famous Sefer Yireim. We've seen the Yireim before, which is one of the Noneh Mitzvot, one of the books that lists the Mitzvot. Lists the Mitzvah of the Kadishtem Bitem Kedoshim. Sit there in Source 19. He lists our Mitzvah. I'm going to read this whole paragraph because it's really, it's, it's wonderful. It's obviously wonderful to be God commanded the Jewish people to become sanctified. Parsha, 
He quotes a different pasuk, same sentiment. The Torah never tells us what does that mean to become sanctified. This is be sanctified. How do you do that? He said, I'll give you one example. Don't become too dirty. Don't become too, like, gross. That would be an example of being sanctified. Don't become like a scuzzy person. And I'm talking about behavior. I'm talking about looks and dress and, and, and your hands being dirty. Because that is a lack of kiddushah. So the uranium comes at it from this perspective. He says there's a mitzvah in the Torah to become holy. The Torah never says how to become holy, but we can see from the example given about washing your hands that has to do with being clean. The whole thing that our, we all grew up with, our mother's telling us cleanliness is next to godliness, or we heard from, that's the uranium. That's sanctity. He said, let's not, let's not get over, let's not get overexcited. He said, the Torah is not commanding us to wash my machroni. The Torah is commanding us to become holy. And the rabbis are attaching that idea to their rule of washing my machroni. Right? We know that washing before, washing afterwards is all the rabbanan. But notice now what the Urim says. And I put it in red. So he says you have to make a bracha. We'll see what the wording of the bracha is when you wash my machronim. Why? The Torah says be holy, and the rabbis interpret be holy as referring to washing both before and after the meal. Notice says he takes. Tosfot, and he's from the Tosfot school. He takes Tosfot on directly and says, even when there is no problem of salt, just washing your hands to become cleansed is a mitzvah de Rabbanan, fulfilling a mitzvah de Oraita, or, or a demand de Oraita, and that is to become holy. When the Gemara that we saw in our sugya, and the sources in Chulun, but it's, a, it's ours, Almost, almost completely quotes it, says that Mayim Achronim are obligatory and they never exempted you in the army camp because they are more significant than washing before because of the salt. Right? So the practice that we all have, which is not to make a bracha Mayim Achronim, he says, is based on a ruling of Rabbi Yehuda Gaon, 9th century. And he says, the reason is, he says, because they weren't established as part of a ritual practice. They were established to try to say, make sure to save you from, um, from, uh, from the salt. It is very quickly show you the Shibole Aleket, keeping an eye on the clock, the Shibole Aleket, who we've seen numerous times, Tzidkiah from... Um, from, uh, from Italy uh, in, the, uh, in the 13th century. Um, we're going to take, take a look at the red. First of all, it says, He says, Based on a pasuk. He says, So therefore, you have to make a bracha. And he quotes the Urim. 
And then in red, he says, So he slices the difference as follows. He says that everybody has to wash my machronim. But the only one who has to make a bracha on my machronim is the guy benching. Because there's two considerations. There's the consideration of safety, which is about the salt. And then you can get into Tosfot's issue of saying, does it apply anymore? Everybody else will say it does, because once the rabbis make a rule, it applies whether or not the original uh, issue is still there. And Tosfot will say, well, we can be lenient because since we don't have Melech meat, That's only for the safety issue of touching your eyes. Then there's a different problem, which is whoever's saying the bracha can't have dirty hands. So he has to wash his hands first, but that's only for that guy. And so the Shibbole Aleket says, that's the guy who has to make the bracha. And what's the bracha? We'll see in a minute. So we go to the Rambam, source 14. And the Rambam says as follows, Kol hanotel yadav, anybody who has to wash their hands, bein la'achila, bein l'kriyat shma, bein l'tfila, for any of those purposes, mevarech batchila asher kideshonu mitzvotav tzivanu al netilat yadayim. We do that in the morning before we daven, we do that before meal, correct? We're all good. How can you say, this is the problem, the Hanukkah problem, how can you say when the rabbis made it up? Because the Torah obligates us to follow what the rabbis said. Famous discussion of Hanukkah. The Rambam says, we don't make a bracha because they're only there because of danger and therefore there's no bracha said on them. Okay. The Ravad on the spot says, Ani Shamati, next source, 15, Vishimushea Geonim, that's one of the small books put together by the Geonim, Hakad Monim, was published in their names, Shekadvu Alamay Machronim Bracha, and what's the Bracha? Al Rechitzat Yadayim. And so you find now in numerous sources that there was a Bracha that people would make when they'd wash my Machronim, and the Bracha was Al Rechitzat Yadayim, washing the hands. And the Ravad takes a mini oath and he says it's correct. Washing before the meal and washing after the meal are inferred from the same pasuk. So if you make a bracha on washing before the meal, which we all do, you have to make a bracha after the meal, on washing after the meal. Okay. Now, one little side thing, just for curiosity about the Rambam. The Rambam explained the reason that you do not have to make a bracha on my machronim is because they were nitkan for one reason, which is danger. In other words, here's how we look at it. When the Torah gives you an affirmative action to take, lighting their Hanukkah, reading the Megillah, that's the rabbis, or eating matzah, or sitting in a sukkah, that's the Torah, you make a bracha when you do that action or before you do that action. Okay. But when the rabbis come along and say, we're instituting a practice which is there for safety reasons, no bracha. Okay, good. In, um, in source 18, the Rambam says as follows. He's talking, this kind of summar, summarizes it's the last chapter. And in Chapter 11, he talks about Berkat HaMitzvot, the brachot we make over mitzvot. You know, Asher Kiddushan, Sivanu, Al Lulav, whatever. 
So he says as follows. There are mitzvot you have to run after the dew. Right? You're going to tefillin, sukkah, lulav, shofar. Okay? Those are obligatory mitzvot. No matter what happens, you have to go do them. There's some mitzvot which are somewhat voluntary. How's that? What's a ma'akeh? So we had it in last week's parsha, a parapet around the roof, which, by the way, halachically is extended to any safety issue around your property. You don't have to live in a house. You could live in a tent your whole life and never have a mezuzah and never have ma'akeh. You're not obligated, right? You're not obligated to go find a nest so you can send away the mother bird. But if you encounter a nest and you want the eggs, you have to send away the mother bird, right? You want to live your whole life on a boat or whatever it is. They have a boat without cabins. You don't have to live in a house to make a ma'akeh. And nonetheless, there's a bracha that you make on ma'akeh, which means you make a bracha on things that were established, in this case by the Torah, because of safety issues. Just a side thing about the Rambam to take a look at. Okay, we'll quickly take a look at the halacha, and then we're going to see something, a phenomenal approach of the Archa Shochan to end this off. This will end off with sweet salt in your mouth uh, as, a, as a beautiful end of this year. The tour in describing the meal says the following, at the end of the meal, Get rid of this bad smell with the good oil. The Torah says clearly, is an obligation. No if, ands, and buts. Etc. And he quotes it. Right? And then he quotes what Rashi said, which is since the rabbi said you have to have salt at the end of the meal, therefore, you might have some of that bad salt with it, and therefore they obligated you to wash your hands to be safe. Okay? Good. Um, the Shulchan Aruch says very clearly, three words, and that's all you need. Look at source 23. He doesn't mince anything. Boom. That's it. And doesn't quote Tosfari. You say, well, we don't do it. We don't have that kind of salt. Right? And the Taz on the spot says, because the rabbi said you should have salt with your meal, and there's melach still meat, Therefore, you touch the salt, you might then touch your eye, etc. So they obligated. Okay. We are left with essentially two problems. Do we and who has to wash my machroni? We live in a very different era. We live in an era in which we eat with cutlery. Sometimes we can have an entire meal where not one bit of food touches our, our fingers. Second of all, we hopefully are more careful about our, touching ourselves with our fingers, you know, touching our eyes, stuff like that. Um, so what do we do about, about my Machorim? So you see in front of you the Aruch HaShukhan's treatment. It's not his whole treatment. It's just the first five halachot in the Siman. But he says something which is so marvelous. I, I, I just wanted to, uh, to give it to you as a bit of dessert at the end of this year. And then you can wash your hands. The, the Rambam, he quotes the Rambam uh, with the Gemara and Brachot. says, Take a flamai machronim berchatamazon. As soon as you wash my machronim, you have to bench for the afsik benam, but the varacher, 
Once you wash my machronim, by the way, that's a halacha. We didn't get into this. You can't interrupt it all. You have to go straight to benching. Okay, good. Um, in Halacha Bet, he, he points out that the rabbis attached my machronim to our pasuk, v'kadishtem, mitem kedoshim, etc. Okay? And then he says, and there's no bracha because it's all because of danger. And he quotes the Rambam at the end of Bet. In Gimel, he quotes Tosfot. There's the Archa Shochan, by the way, Michal Michal Epstein from Bardic, turn of the 20th century, into the 20th century. He quotes Tosfot. He says, We don't do my machronim because we don't have Melach Stomit. How could you possibly say you don't have to wash my machronim? You still have Vitem Kedoshim. This is the part one of the Shorcha Shochan. He says there's two components to Maim Achronim. One part is a pragmatic danger of Melach Stomit. And the second is the sanctity of Birkat Amazon and of washing your hands in preparation for Birkat Amazon. Vakdusha, right after the, under, the highlighted part in Gimel, the Kedusha is getting rid of the bad smell from your hands. From when you, you ate, so it's got that bad smell. Right? And then he quotes the opinion that says, only the guy benching, who's going to mention God's name, he has to wash, and everybody else, it's only because of danger, and therefore if they don't have that salt, they don't have to do it. And here in Dali says, what is such a beautiful Kedusha. Uh, let me ask you a question in preparation. At the Seder, we, we eat matzah essentially three times. In other words, we eat it once, then we eat it immediately afterwards with korech, and then we eat it at the end of the meal afikoman. Now you could show me with your fingers whether it's eating number one, eating number two, or eating number three is the main mitzvah of matzah. The answer is actually, believe it or not, three. Believe it or not, three, right? We say if you only have one piece of shor matzah, save it for the afikoma. Okay, boom, three. Um, when do we make the bracha on al-chilat matzah? Before, number one. At the beginning of the seder, right? At the beginning of shulchan aruch, right? Magid rachzah, motzi matzah, right? Marokorech, shulchan aruch. Okay. So watch this. The Yorchashokhan says in Dalad, Lama in Vrachin Kumo Maim Rishonim. Why don't we make a bracha on Maim Achronim? Vedata Ravad Perkshishib Metkenu. He quotes the Ravad who says, We do make a bracha. Sechim bracha. Katab Zevishem Shimushe Agonim. Sechim bracha. Wechitzet Edaim. Ain't Sham Shmachalek. Right? The Aztalan bracha. Whether you ate something that was smelly like meat or fish, so your hands are really ich. I mean, imagine eating that with your hands. Right? Um, if you eat something that's dry that has no smell, then you don't mean the bracha. But everybody agrees against the Ravad, we don't make a bracha my machronim. You've never seen it. I've never seen it. I hope never to see it. That somebody watches my machronim and says a bracha. We don't do it. That's not our practice. 
But the Orach HaShokhan's bothered by it. Everybody's bothered, which is, but wait a second, it's connected to a pasuk. It's more serious than my Mishonim. They exempted my Mishonim in the army camp, but not my Machronim. It's dangerous. It's much, it's, a, it's, a, it's from a pasuk. How can you say no bracha? So look at this. He says, I think, in my humble opinion, that's what his word. You say hamotzi at the beginning of a meal. How many more times do you make a bracha on food during that meal? There's a possibility of two. One is if you, it's not, let's say, Shabbos and you had Kiddush and you have wine in the middle of the meal and make prayer And if you have dessert, but during the meal, you have, you make hamotzi. Then you have a sandwich. Do you make a shakal on the cheese? Or shakal on the burger? No. Hamotzi includes it all, right? Isn't that our general principle? When you make hamotzi, basically that covers everything you eat in the meal that's somehow attached to the meal. It is such an, a beautiful chiddush, such a brilliant insight. He says the bracha that you make, you can see I'm excited. I'm so excited when I found the Sarcha Shochan. I'm jumping up and down. That the bracha al netilat yadayim you make before the meal covers all the washing. Just like when you make hamotzi, it covers all the food, the al netilat yadayim you make before the meal includes the al netilat yadayim at the end of the meal, which is my machroni. He says, that's why we don't make a bracha. We don't make a bracha, not because we don't need one, because we already made one. And if you take it one step further, you could see that he ties it together and says the entire meal is one continuum, which the rabbi saw, wash before, wash after. In the middle is hamotzi and the food. And it's all covered by the bracha you make, hamotzi, covers all of the food and then all of the washing that happens afterwards up at the Berkat Amazon. It's a brilliant, brilliant insight. Um, uh, okay, I think that that covers it as much as we can cover it um, in this year. Uh, and in Mitzvah Shem next week, we'll continue.